Welcome to the Common Sense Podcast. We are your hosts, Jordan Jackson, Joel Asbury, and Paul Warner. So today's topic, what to expect when you are buying a home in today's market. Yeah, Jordan, it's kind of a tricky question, but I think we can knock this one out fairly easy. What do you think? I mean, I think we've got some good insight, so. It's called common sense for a reason, right? Let's, let's try not to make it too complicated. <laughs> so, the first step, where do you stand? Have you looked at yourself lately in the mirror and said, huh, I think I can buy a house today? What does that mean? Like a dollhouse? I don't know. How many square footage do you need? I mean, that's my first question. <laughs> How much square footage do I need? Paul usually has somebody that comes up to him and says, hey, I have this much money I can spend, this much in- information that I know, and this much information I don't know. So today we're here to explain what information you don't know. Because buying a house right now is not the hardest thing to do. It's probably super easy. Contrary to what the media is telling us. Yeah, don't don't listen to the media. All they do is lie, lie, lie. <laughs> liar. <laughs> liar. Remember that movie, Liar, Liar? Yes. Did Jim Carrey. Didn't we talk about that earlier today? Yeah. <clears throat> anyway. So I always ask somebody, hey, what's what are you paying right now in your rents? What are you doing for uh, expenses? How much in credit do you pay out every month? And what are you looking for as far as keeping your payment in your budget? Because those three things typically drive how much house you can afford. And today's market is not like it was two years ago. It's more driven by higher interest rates. You have higher payments. You have the higher... Uh, well, you have less competition for one. That's the truth. So having less competition means you should be able to take your offer and get it accepted fairly easy. And still be able to do an inspection and not pay over the appraisal value either. That's a good point. Don't ever pay over the appraised value, uh, even in a market that was like the last two years, because you don't know if you're going to get the return on investment at that case. So... Today's, today's prices are coming down slightly, I see it, in my line of work, in mortgage world. I, mean, I, don't, I don't see it as big as it should be right now. I see more people complaining about their payments going up because their interest rates are triple what they would have been two years ago if they bought. So <clears throat> today's market is, is unique in that aspect. But well. here's, here's, here's how you would, I mean, Paul would probably give the best navigation of how to get around some of the things that are happening. So, so let me ask you guys this. So say I'm a first-time home buyer and I'm wanting to get a home. Yes. What what couple things do I need to take into consideration? Well, I mean, I think I named them off earlier. So how much square footage? Like how much square footage do you want? How much in monthly payment can you afford? And, you know, where in your city or town or country are you looking to live? Because a lot of times geography plays a huge role in how much that house is going to be. What do they, what do they say? The three things to remember location, when a house? Location, location, Yes. Well, there's actually four. Location, price, design, quality, and condition. Okay. Those are the factors that drive the value. Right. 
but I mean obviously location is a big one of the biggest because it's a big indicator on where those values are where you can be in what areas because there are some areas of town that are not as affected as other areas of town um, but there's also like I said that in the years past there's been a lot of people who have bought houses without doing inspections or I have seen a lot of buyers forego or overlook or accept conditions of houses well beyond what I've ever seen before in the past years and what I think people have to keep in mind is the past two to three years was temporary like those days are gone those a lot of people have probably got themselves in trouble with buying during that time with low interest rates because they bought a house with no inspection accepted issues with a house and their condition of a house that was subpar that that I've never seen people do before now you have the advantage of yeah I, I can go in and do an inspection and actually buy a home the way that I feel like you should buy a home to protect yourself in the long run so I mean again the interest rates are good. temporary interest rates are temporary that's good there is a form though in your in your FHA application, which everybody's kind of familiar with FHA. It has a bad stigma to it. I don't know why, but it's one of the very easiest loans for a first-time home buyer to really take advantage of. A because rates are slightly lower. B your down payment requirements can be wiped out completely. You so that means you have, could have zero, zero down. Okay. Uh, and C you have the protection of the federal government behind you if you were to default on that loan. So <clears throat> there's actually a form inside the FHA application that says, for your protection, get a home inspection. We've waived a lot of FHA applications in the last two years, and people went conventional because they were waiving their property inspections, and lots of bad things were showing up in their properties later on down the road. I don't see it from a mortgage perspective, but you do see your customers calling you as an agent back saying, what the heck did I get myself into? And <clears throat> that's kind of a... A positive I think that's happening right now I see we have seen a lot more claims come through that you, we've never seen before you probably got a lot of claims because everybody was like hey wait a minute I bought a lemon yes. there's no limit there's a lemon law in Indiana about buying a car there's no lemon law about buying a house so Paul you mentioned about the inspection so what should somebody be looking for an inspection or should they how much should they expect to pay for inspections or well, and, and that all depends. I mean, it all depends on a lot of it. It has to do with the age of the house. Um, I've got a lot of clients that have done a lot of downtown properties. Um, and not just doing your general inspection that will check all the mechanicals, the roof, and all that sort of thing. We also scope sewer lines now. Even, believe it or not, I mean, a lot of these houses, even in the 30s, 40s, can 50s, can be have bad sewer lines. It really depends on the um, what they used. A lot of clay pipe was used. There's a lot of big, mature trees in older houses. A lot of those sewer lines are failing, and that can cost you anywhere from ten dollars to $15,000 to have that replaced. But that's something that a normal inspector, a lot of times they don't do, or they'll have contacts or a plumber that can run a scope with a camera that will show you those breaks in the line but I would highly recommend that um, as on older houses on newer ones you don't necessarily have to do that because you're using 
newer up to code products like the PVC and, and you know sewer or tree roots and such are not they're not built or they're not grown there yet exactly right. or they're just not as they withstand more damage than clay pipes that that shift over time and they're easier to break but as far as inspections goes um, definitely do your general inspection a lot of times you might have to dig into it further whether there's uh, foundation issues always re resort to the experts in that field so an inspector is going to tell you well I see something wrong with this foundation there may or may not be something wrong with the foundation but it's their job to point that out so that you can further evaluate it by an expert in that field because believe it or not I've seen found brick foundations in places like Beth Fletcher place where the floor looks like a skate park because it's settled so much and you bring in the structural engineer it's like a loop -de -loop. yes and so you bring in the structural engineer and believe it or not they're saying this is actually sound yes you, the floors are uneven but it's settled you can fix it but the house isn't going anywhere it's been there for over a hundred years so sometimes you got to be careful inspectors are doing their job and sometimes they can scare people away but that's where when you have somebody like a, uh, that's experienced in this type of properties that you always should go to that expert there's one thing I always see and that's electrical electrical systems have changed and changed throughout the years the codes have changed well a lot of times an inspector will call those things out on an, an inspection and in all reality you bring in the electrician and the electrician says there's nothing wrong with it so there are things and that the inspector will call out those general things that they will recommend that you evaluate further to really get to the bottom of it I recommend going to those experts in those fields rather than just walking away because I've had buyers do that a lot they just get scared by what's in the inspection report and they walk away point is anything can be fixed how much is it going to cost yeah. and does in fact does it really need to be fixed I, and that's why you go to experts in the I field. generally tell my customers that are first-time buyers is like how much money am I going to spend up front and I, I'll say well if you get an inspection you might spend five six seven eight hundred maybe even a thousand dollars on totality of the inspection depending upon how old the house is and you're also going to spend five hundred some dollars on an appraisal which will just give me the marketability for that house how how well it's priced how much money it's worth etc etc what kind of money you can get back in return and sure. if your purchase price is accurate enough so yes you're going to have some investment into that property and you may not even end up buying it so That's let me ask, let me ask you this real quick if i find something wrong in this when this inspection comes through say it's the foundation and it's going to be let's just say a thousand dollars to get it fixed do i have the ability to go back to the seller and say hey we need to drop this price by a thousand dollars because I'm gonna have to turn around and put some money into this in yeah. today's market yes. can I do that because I know back when COVID was going on you it was basically you, you couldn't do that you as, as well then but now no. I'm seeing it a lot I'm seeing, okay. I'm seeing some so just because you see something yeah. doesn't mean you got to run away yeah, right you mean no. you can turn it back you, around and say hey we got to lower this because of X, Y, Z. Do you have an inspection period? Most homeowners that are buying are not buying as is, which a lot of times there's houses being sold as is. As is is one of those terms that I have to explain to people, even other agents sometimes. I have to do it too. 
hey, is this as is common is, sense here. It's right. Yes. It is exactly. Common sense. Really, I wish they would just change the title of the as is agreement to seller will not fix anything for him. <laughs> that, would make it, that would make it too clear, Paul. That's the thing. I think it's, so it, an as is agreement, all it says is the seller does not have the funds or does not want to fix anything. It's all on the buyer. That does not mean that you don't have the right to come back and renegotiate the price or credits if you find something. That does not mean you're locked into that price and you have to move forward at that price. All that form is is seller will not fix anything. It's on you as the buyer. I always recommend the buyer handle the repairs anyway. You're the one buying the house. You're going to be living in it. Maybe. You get to choose who does the work. You get to check their work, and you don't pay them if you're not satisfied. But if you try to let the seller do it, guess what? They're going to try to minimize the cost and get it done. Right. Potentially, this not everybody, but they can just put a bandaid over it. Put a bandaid over it, and then you come and you're like, "Well, I'm not satisfied. You got to fix it right." Then you're delaying closing again. Now you're not you don't have control over it. So for a while until it's fixed the way you want it. Ex- and if you don't have the money to bring it up front, then you ask the seller for that money. Okay, I see that happening. Yes. You, you can put it in your agreements all you want to. Just don't show them to me. I don't want to. Well, there is a way around it. So let's just say foundation problem. Five grand to fix it. Seller doesn't have the money right now. Buyer doesn't have the money. Well, we get ABC Foundation Contractor in here. They give us a quote. We send that to the title company. Right, the title company writes a check from the proceeds of the, from the seller directly to the foundation company. Once the work is complete. Usually. Right. So there's a way to do that because you can't just have a seller give a buyer a check at closing. That's against the law. <laughs> yeah. But that's common you, sense, too. That's, we're going to yes. go out and we're going to party with that money. Yes. He's got a new house. Yes, exactly. That's, that could be mis- mistaken as a Rebate. incentive to buy. Yeah. Right. Now exactly. you just lowered the purchase price. Thank right. you, Mr. Seller. So there are ways to fix this problem. There's ways to, to handle this. There's, you know, and that's why I was in encourage buyers, if, if you like the house, don't be scared away from stuff because the reality is when you buy a house, there's always going to be something that you're going to have to do, maintenance or fixing something. That's just the reality of it. Yeah, I call it a house buying slush fund. So if somebody buys something FHA, they, let's do easy numbers, $100,000. You need 3.5% for your down payment. That can come from a gift, right? So I'm saying, okay, now there's three and a half, $3,500 out of your pocket just for the down payment. Well, sometimes I tell people, hey, you might need 8% in total because you've got all these other costs that are associated with it. So if you don't have a a real estate slush fund built as a first-time buyer, you may as well just wait until you have some money saved. Right now is the easy time because it's tax season. What's what's the number one place people get most of their bonus money? In their tax return. Why you got all these sales going on at all these car dealerships and everywhere else around? Exactly. Trade in your clunker. They know they got money in your pocket. Give you some tax money (laughs) so you have some down payment. Well, it's the same thing with houses. We sell a lot more houses after tax period is over because people have a little bit of slush fund. A lot more properties. I know. Rent, more rents, tenants, a lot lot of renting goes on because they've got their their security deposit. They've got their deposit they can make. I mean, it's... I know when we bought our home... I mean, it was it was a new build, so we didn't have, you know, a lot of the extra expenses. But I mean, we didn't have blinds. 
Yeah. And woke up and it's, you know, five o'clock in the morning and the sun's sure. just the sun's in your face. So like we spent a couple grand to get blinds and it's something that you know you yeah. never really think about. That's such fun. Yeah. There's a staff, furniture, everything. Don't buy furniture in the middle of your process. Don't buy car in the middle of your process. Don't yeah, finance like anything that. more than a Pop Tart. We well you had asked about the inspection because we didn't I mean I can finish that about the generally your inspection, depending on the house, is probably four or five hundred bucks your general yeah, inspection. That's the easy one. Then if you the, go any further, it's then just, the yes, it gets the, more the wood destroying insects add on another what, 100 bucks, 120, 150 bucks. The the sewer line scope could be anywhere from 150 to 200 dollars. Which I would recommend that because from an insurance standpoint, insurance never covers anything from the house to, to the, street. the street. So if you've got all those pipes going out to the street, insurance won't cover it. If it's within your house, we'll always cover that. Right. It's just everything outside the house. Yeah. You're on your own for that. So you, I would 100% yeah. recommend and that. From the street to the house is yours, your responsibility yeah. too. And in places like Marion County, or if you're on Citizens Energy, they have utility shield that you can pay for that will help cover some of those yes. costs. Like, There's home yeah, warranties like that will help. Ten bucks a month or even cheaper than that. Right. And, and a lot of that house. stuff, they have those kind of uh, programs because, I mean... You're looking at replacing a sewer line. There is tap-in fees to the city, plus the actual contractor to lay the pipe and connect it to your house. And so there's a lot of that I see more and more in the older neighborhoods. But, yeah, so having that money to protect yourself and make sure you're doing the inspections. But not only that, like Joel said, you've got your loan costs, you got prepaid items, which a lot of people will ask me, well, what about closing costs? How much are the closing costs? Well, in all reality, I don't feel like closing costs are gonna be your biggest portion of your cost to, to purchase the property. I yeah. would say it's more of your down payment and prepaid unless, items. Unless you're buying a house in a state like California or a state like Florida, where they charge you with tax stamps and intangible fees, and in California it's worse because you can't, you can't get out of escrow after you've signed for 30 days. You don't even get possession until after 30 days. In Florida, you get possession right away, but you've paid the county that you purchased the house in thousands of dollars extra on top of your escrow fees. Because A, there's no income tax in Florida, so where they get you is on real estate. <clears throat> so what, what you have to think about are the rules per state on how much money you're gonna have to have in your pocket. But at least in Indiana. In Indiana, where we're filming said podcast, aka recording, because there is no film, <clears throat> what we're doing... I've got a face only radio can love. <laughs> we all have faces only our moms can love. <clears throat> so what happens in Indiana, we're one of the cheapest closing states because your title company doesn't have an attorney to close your, your loan. So there's no attorney fee. The only attorney fee is to repair the deed, and that's typical to be between 50 and 100 bucks. That's the cheapest deed preparation fee in the country, basically. Yes. So what you're looking at is about $1,000 from the title company to do everything they need to do legally. You're looking at a lender fee that could be anywhere from 300 to $1,600, something like that. And you're looking at your escrows, which depending upon your house size and your need for your insurance, which mm -hmm. there's a formula for insurance and how much money you have to spend for that. And then you have your per month taxes that you have to cover in an escrow account uh, <clears throat> that could total 5500 bucks easy let's just you know a typical purchase you may spend 
five thousand to eight thousand dollars just on your fees in escrow accounts. And that doesn't matter yes. if it's a hundred thousand dollar home or a million dollar home. Is that correct, or does that it's, fluctuate? It only fluctuates on the title of insurance policy. So if your loan size is between a certain loan amount, your title company is going to charge a little bit more for that title insurance because it's a it's a higher policy. That makes sense. Okay. And the escrow account basically is for taxes and insurance to fund that up front. Which is so when those come due, because the bank will pay the taxes and insurance for, for you, you twice a year. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to pay those out of your pocket. It's part of Directly. the mortgage. It's part so of your mortgage. But you have to bring bank, that money to closing. Bring that money yes, to, to fund it. Fund it. But when you go to sell your house, your escrow account that is going to have a yours. balance, and it will get sent back to you within probably 30 days after selling Usually. it. Yeah, that money's yours. So it's, yes, and you'll see when you get a statement from your mortgage every year, every six months, there's an escrow account analysis, and they show you, okay, I get mine, and my, my payment might fluctuate by 10, 15, 20 bucks a month because insurance rates went up, taxes went up. So now they have to adjust that escrow payment on your, and spread it across your mortgage payment, and now your payment might go up a little bit because law, of that. So this is another thing I handle. By law, there's a $600 variance that has to be in your escrow account. And if you don't, if you have more than $600 extra for what you owe, they give you a refund. If you yes. have less than $600, then they ask you to pay a little bit more in order to keep the cushion accurate. Because a lot of times your taxes will end up going up every year, if the, especially now with the high values we have seen. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> your insurance would go up because premiums have definitely gone up. I, I've noticed that. Cost to rebuild a house is Cost to rebuild a house is <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So, so let's say your house caught fire. Oh, shoot. Now I don't have enough money to cover enough materials to rebuild this thing. So, Well, and taxes are going up because the values are going up. So when they assess the values, your taxes go up. So, but there's also other things that you have to consider depending on where you live, and that would be things like school referendums and such. Because it seems to be that where a lot of the tax revenue comes for townships and schools and things, it comes from the property owners. That's all the property owners. It's all on the property owners, and that's a whole other discussion where... That's a whole other common sense whole discussion. whole common sense discussion about whether or not all the burden should go on the property, property owners, honestly. I mean, I don't... I, I feel like there's ways that we could make everybody pay for that, but that's a whole other discussion. But yeah. It is it what starts it with is, sales but tax. it. Uh, you know that. Yes. You know that state of Florida where there's no income tax. There's also higher sales tax for a huge reason. Same thing with with the state of Texas. No income tax. But there's a higher sales tax. Higher sales tax per city. They do right. it per city in Texas and in Florida. It's kind of like mandated. Each each state does the same, or each uh, county does the same thing. But <clears throat> for the for the most part, that's all another discussion for so. another day. So, okay, so let's get back on track here. So, average closing cost, you said anywhere, let's just say $5,500. Let's say $5,500. If I'm doing an FHA, first time? First time home, home buyer. And you said I could have a zero? You can have as little as zero money out of your pocket. So, where does that $5,500 go then? So, that 5500 bucks could be paid for by the seller. Or it could be paid for from a gift from mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or aunt and uncle or somebody in your immediate family. Your brother, your sister, your half uncle—I don't care who it is—as long as they're related to you, they can donate money 
for your clothing. Could I ever roll that into my actual payment, or would it have to be paid no, up so, front regardless? So closing costs are always paid up front unless you're doing, uh, well, they come out of your pocket unless you are doing a refi. And at that point, you can roll your closing costs into your loan if you have enough equity to cover it. So when I hear people saying that, what they're really saying is they just had a refinance done. Then. More or less, they had a refinance done, or they had somebody uh, as a benefactor. Okay. Okay. So let's just say I'm a typical person making $60,000, I think is the average salary in the United States right now. And I'm wanting to go buy a home here in Indiana, let's just say $200,000. Uh, I can expect fifty five hundred probably coming out right up front. Easy. Um, so I need to make sure I have that. I always hear people saying you need about twenty percent of a down payment. Mm -hmm. Why is that? To avoid mortgage insurance. Okay. Elaborate on that. Mortgage insurance is just a fancy term of saying protection against your default. So insurance is insurance is insurance, right? This is what Jordan's all about is insurance. <laughs> Well, mortgage insurance is not Jordan's specialty. Uh, Jordan actually does flood insurance, which is a whole different thing. Property and casualty Property insurance and is a little different than yes. <laughs> mortgage insurance. Mortgage insurance. <laughs> default insurance. <laughs> mortgage insurance protects the lender from your default. So if you put less than 20% down, guess what? You're required mortgage insurance. But if you put 20% down, you're not required mortgage insurance. If you put... Uh, less than 20% down and you pay your loan until you have 20% equity, you actually have to petition your lender to drop it. But if you get to 78% equity, meaning you have 22% cash value in your house and you're at 78% loan to value, then it'll automatically fall off. So that's a little, this little snippet that a lot of people think, oh, wait a minute, I've reached that 20% equity, why am I still paying this mortgage insurance? Well, call your lender and tell them, hey, I don't want to pay this anymore. Uh, otherwise, you're going to pay it for another year and a half until you get to that 78% position. Hmm. And that's just conventional loan, but that's FHA, loan. that PMI never drops off, right? There's, there's a caveat to FHA. So you can do an FHA loan at 15 years and an FHA loan at 30 years. Those are the amortizations. And if you do an FHA loan at 15 years, you uh, will automatically have mortgage insurance drop when you reach that 20% equity position. If you have FHA mortgage at 30 years, you typically have to pay mortgage insurance the lifetime of your loan or, or <laughs> you refinance. You refinance into yes. something else or you pay it for 11 years because in that first 11 years that's the biggest risk to the investor there's actually a, a program out there from HUD who oversees FHA mortgages housing and urban development is what HUD stands for <clears throat> when you reach 11 years there's a way to actually work out some kind of petition you can do a little other thing but it is file some paperwork you file some paperwork essentially so what happens is you could pay a certain dollar amount of mortgage insurance on a 30-year FHA loan until you reach that dollar amount, you're going to pay it the whole life of your loan. So let's say the cap in an FHA mortgage right now is somewhere in the 400000 I can't remember the number, it just changed this year. 
when you get to a certain dollar amount that you paid, your mortgage insurance goes away. And you may not have been in this loan for 30 years yet. It's probably year 27 or year 26 or 25. <clears throat> um, but if you don't pay that certain dollar amount, you're paying it to the lifetime of the loan on a 30 year. So 15 years is the only way you can escape it at 20% equity. But a 30 year, you pay it the entire time until you pay a certain figure. Uh, unless you have the other stuff that you filed the paperwork on. Okay. After 11 years, it's usually when you can petition it. How much does that typically run a person? So, funny you should ask, this just changed. The annual mortgage insurance premium is 0.85% currently. 0.85% so of the purchase of the price? Amount of your loan amount. So if I'm getting a $200,000 home, 0.85% of that. 0.85%, what's that? I don't know, 8,500 plus 8,500? Yeah, 1700 like 16, 17. 16, 17. I mean, you split that up. Yeah. You split that up. Divided by 12 by yeah. 120 bucks. Let's just go with that. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's about 120 bucks. So. As of March the 20th, that percentage, thanks to Joe Biden's administration, El Presidente, has decided that we are going to drop that percentage by 30 basis points. So now it is 0.55%. The PMI is? Per year. Yep. So, so it's you, less. So you're up front right now. The up front is what you pay to actually insure the loan. That's 1.75%. So... We just went down to eleven hundred bucks now. Right. So now you go so about hundred. Now you, 100 bucks, now, you drop, 100, now, you, now you drop thirty basis points. You're down to about hundred bucks a month, give or take. So now you saved yourself twenty dollars a month. So congratulations, you can buy lunch one more day. <laughs> That's really what that is. So what happens? What happens now? Uh, I mean, you have a slight incentive to have a loan that doesn't have that much expensive mortgage insurance. So it's almost incentivizing you to kind of go the first yes. time home buyer route. Yes. Because it, 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 it almost incentivizes you to get into the loan using FHA. Now, Paul will tell you that FHA uh, purchase agreements typically have a stigma to them because people are like, oh, wait a minute, now I have to have the perfect house for somebody to buy. Well, I'll tell you the secret. It's common sense. If your house has a hole in it, at any pass in FHA, <laughs> if your house has a has a water puddle in the in the kitchen mm -hmm. because there's a brown spot in your ceiling, mm -hmm. at any pass in FHA. Well, I was going to say the common sense thing is you're not going to buy one home for the rest of your life either. No, you're not. And so you, you just buy a home. Flaky. Typically, it's a starter home. Is what most people will buy as their first home. Right. And then they'll end up going to about three or four different homes in their lifetime. That's how you build wealth. It's buying smaller houses. Well, sure, but I mean, there will even things like flaking paint on the yes. exterior paint can chips. cause that. You got paint chips? Don't eat them, kids, because <laughs> because that'll that'll cause you to have mental health problems the rest of your life. <laughs> but that's why they have a lead-based paint disclosure. But those paint chips have to be scraped, painted over, and you have your government loan approved again. And it doesn't matter if it's on the house or the garage that's not attached to the house. You still have to have that thing painted. What if the seller won't do it? Will you guys do repair escrows? Yes. So here's another thing, too. You could have a repair escrow up to $10,000 on a conventional loan. You could also have a repair escrow that's essentially unlimited 
on an FHA loan <clears throat> only because there are certain programs that allow you to renovate houses with FHA loans. The so 203k I, FHA loan, yes. I had a customer one time who did a 203k renovation loan. This is FHA. They put 3.5% down, but they borrowed an additional $35,000. Okay. And they redid their entire house to avoid all this problem. Guess what they did two years later? Sold it? No. They refinanced it into a VA loan because oh. the guy's a veteran. So he pulled 100% of his equity in the house and used it to fix another problem that they had after the fact because they didn't get their pipes scoped. So they had a problem. It's expensive. They, they had a problem with their sewer lines. Really? Yes. Well, so they, our biggest takeaway today, scope, scope your sewer lines. your sewer lines. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like getting a colonoscopy for Pete's sake. You have to do it. After, your after your 40 lines. years of age, you got to get it. After your home's 40 your years home, of age. your home is 40 years old, it's probably got <laughs> well, some dry rot. You guys it. should be on the same colonoscopy schedule. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, a lot of it has to do with big trees and mature trees and where they're located. Because uh -huh. believe it or not, I mean, I've seen a lot of houses on all... You know, downtown. I just did one in Bates Hendricks, scoped the sewer line, it was fine. Well, probably weren't any big trees in that, in the yard to, to screw up the sewer line. Another thing to think about with old houses galvanized piping, terrible, rots from the inside out. Stuff out, water pressure mm. can dwindle. It, <coughs> not to mention, things your to water get rid is of. terrible. Yes, galvanized piping is not used anymore. Yeah, Anything that was used and galvanized is probably bad by now mm -hmm. due to the age. So get rid of it. Something to think about. Here's Even though it might not have problems now, you will have problems. Here's a three-letter acronym. P-E-X. Replace it with PEX. PEX yes. is awesome. PEX is great, and it's a change in the shark bites and everything. I mean, the, even the, the way that you connect... PEX piping now, and there's new methods for that too. Mm -hmm. Not just your yeah. crimping. Call your plumber for Call your plumber for more advice. Yeah. Yes. But call the three letters that you need to plumber. put in your mind on plumbing is PEX. Do I have that in my water system delivery? If I don't, get it. And PEX will withstand more. Expansion. Everything else should be an X unless it's PEX. <laughs> and we're not talking about your chest either. And PEX is, PEX is great because it will actually expand more than what a copper pipe would. A copper pipe will just split and break. Yeah, right. And you wind up with an insurance claim, yes. <laughs> which probably happened a lot in December this yes. year, doesn't it? More yes. than I would like to. And do you don't have to worry about crackhead stealing pecs because you can't scrap. You can't scrap. <laughs> right. Something we don't have to worry about as much anymore. But back in gosh, the crafts of two thousand eight and nine, people stealing copper was really bad. A lot of that came off of the HVAC systems too. Yeah. All right. So I know we're running short on time here. So let's. If you're first time home buyer, mm -hmm. we're estimating anywhere between five to six. We should be bringing. Five to six thousand. You need that for closing. closing. Mortgage payment could fluctuate, obviously, depending on what we've gone over our location, your location, condition, price, condition all of that. price, the value, the house. Value. So that's just kind of a nice little thing to keep in the back of your mind if you're trying to purchase a home for the first time. Yes. What if you're trying to purchase a second home, as in I'm selling this home and I'm using the proceeds to buy a new home? What, uh, what would I need to two, know about that? Two words. Bridge loan. That way you can keep your affordability. Okay. Why do I say that? Because you take the equity that's in your current house, mm -hmm. you strip it down to a home equity line of credit, so all you're doing is paying an interest payment. 
So now your qualification is only based upon an interest payment of a one little small, I don't know, it could be 100000 200000 loan. Interest on that is half of what you're paying on your standard mortgage. But you have equity that's in the house that you can draw from in order to make that your down payment. So I don't necessarily have to come up with the out-of-pocket. No. I can just use the proceeds of the sale of my home. Ahead of time. You don't have to wait until you sell your house. So let me ask you this, Paul. Have you been seeing a lot of people trying to do this? Have they run into issues with trying to sell their home and buy a home at the same time? Not now, but during the pandemic, it was Because that's all I've been hearing was everybody was... It, it was basically because of the the competition is that there were a lot of people waiving inspections, no contingencies to sell another house. Of course, the seller is not going to accept a contingent offer upon somebody selling a house. Right. Not that they wouldn't think that it would sell in the crazy market, but it's just that the basically over the past two to three years, I don't think we'll ever, and I hope we never see anything like that ever again, because there are so many problems that will be caused in the long run by just by foregoing some of these contingencies but now people aren't beating the door down to buy a house you're not competing against everybody else so you can submit contingency offers True. or do a bridge loan True. which is always more appealing to a seller than you having cash. to sell your house it acts like you have cash because you do so you complete the bridge loan in less than two weeks so now you have <clears throat> you have equity you can pull out of your house if you're trying to sell. You can use that to buy a house that you want to buy. So you can still close on time. You still keep the other house until it sells. And when it does sell, there's no early payment penalty. Is there a time limit on how long you need that sold? Nah, typically a bridge loan will be 9 to 12 months. So, so would I have to make two house payments for that amount of time then? You would, but your house payment you're making on your old house is just interest. Okay. So, so it's not the full amount that I'm used to paying, then, is what correct. we're saying. Yep. So can you build a house yes, with a bridge my... loan? Sure. You use the proceeds to put your 20% down that you need for your construction loan, because you do need 20% on a construction loan, then <clears throat> you're able to build a house at that point. And then, so what happens if the house isn't built within 9 to 10, 12 months? You Can you extend that bridge yeah. loan? Yeah, you can always refinance a bridge loan. You can make it into a standard HELOC at that point. So it doesn't matter. It's, it just has to be paid off usually within 9 to 12 months. So whether you refi that into a second, secondary loan or a home equity line of credit, as they call it. HELOC. HELOC. Uh, or you just sell the house and pay it off altogether. Doesn't matter. Good to know. That is something that I did see a lot more of. I didn't have clients do that. Um, a lot of people, I mean, they could have done it, um, but some people, I saw a lot of people shacking up in mom and dad's basement for a yes. while, and that was because I, they probably didn't know about a bridge loan, was most likely a lot of that was, or they were in circumstances where they had to sell. They were probably selling um, their house and getting out so that they could... While the market's hot, that's all they were trying to do. That's all they were trying to do. Yeah, I had somebody in my office that did that, and then he wound up buying a house six months later, lived in an apartment. Right. I had a lot of people questioning that same thing, is that, why wouldn't I just sell my house and go live in an apartment? And I'm like, well, because... 
you're basically throwing away proceeds that you made off the house. You're going to rent at higher rates. Yep. I had that question a lot, and I was like, well, it doesn't make sense for you to go sign a lease at fifteen hundred a month, two grand a month. Now all that extra money you made on that house is now going to out the door down the drain because you're paying a landlord right. and you're you're building no equity. It would have been better for them to stay where they're at. Well, yes, or or find a place. Find another place. It, yes. it the logic I get what they were trying to do is to reap the benefits of the high pricing, but I mean, there's really no way to get around it unless you have some place free to go live and then yeah. wait six months. Yeah. But even now, like, I don't know that I'm seeing the huge price drops real quickly. And they're not. The prices are not coming down as fast as the interest rates are rising. And the thing is, too, and like, and especially this will happen in the investment world. Surprise. <laughs> It'll happen in the investment world. But what we're also seeing, too, is the large um, corporations, a lot of big-time investors, like the Wall Street guys, they're, they're hedge funds. Hedge funds. They're, they're coming they're in, and they are buying homes, yeah. the homeowner houses, too. So with Indianapolis has been one of the hottest investment markets for years because you can buy a house for cheaper than you can buy an outhouse in places like California in New York. <laughs> an outhouse. Yes. yes, and it's true. Like I can tell you, my brother lives in San five, Diego. Five square feet. It's one million dollars. Lavish bathroom. So my brother. Lavish bathroom. My five brother sent me a house the other day in San Diego, eleven hundred square feet, three bedroom, two bath, two car garage, one point three million dollars. Not even on the ocean. This not is like a mile. No, this is like Encinitas, northern suburb. Great place, beautiful weather, but one point three million dollars for a house that would cost you two hundred grand here. It would cost you two hundred thousand dollars here. So the point is, is that Indianapolis, I don't think will ever see the drastic, huge, fast downturn in pricing because I can tell you, I have a list of investment property, I get bombarded. There are people from all over the world, all over the country buying here because it's so cheap. That is an indicator, a factor that will continue to keep our market strong, whereas some of the other markets that are more expensive are gonna get hit a lot more, like the Californias, the New Yorks, the, the higher value areas, because there's, you don't have that outside influence of hedge funds and other people that are also buying prices, keeping that demand up. Now, so investing in that kind of stuff and secondary houses and how you build your wealth, that's a whole other common sense topic too. But the most common sense is if you are planning on selling your house anytime soon, go get a bridge loan because cash out that equity as quickly as you can because you're going to make your payment a lot smaller in that time it takes you to find a house that you can actually buy. So if somebody is thinking about getting in the housing market, no better time than today still oh, I mean, contrary to popular it's the, it's, the, it's the best time because yes. there's less competition and there's more available homes to look at yes so. yes compared and again the rates might be higher but you can always refinance that nobody nobody should care about the interest rate what an interest rate does is it just sets what your payment is right now it's mm -hmm. not going to be your payment in the future you know the average person moves 
every seven years. Mm -hmm. So if you move in seven years and you pay a 7% interest rate in that seven years, well, guess what? You haven't thrown away that much money. In Correct. fact, your payment is only more expensive than it was last year by an average of 200 bucks. Which home values usually increase by more than that. Anyway. Home values increase more than 200 bucks a month. Yeah. Typically, it's 5% by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. But what's 200 bucks times 12? 24. That's $2,400. What can you do with $2,400? I don't know. Spend it better than the government can. I guess you can see how. <laughs> I, guess, I guess that's lunch for a week. Right? That's, that's high a, inflation? $2,400 in a week? Two dozen eggs. Two dozen eggs. And those, dude, I did buy 18 eggs the other day and they were $4 instead of five fifty or whatever it was. But I feel yeah. like everything else was like gone up by not just like a few cents, like 50 cents to a dollar. Like it's gotten crazy. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's why the feds are raising those rates to knock down that inflation. I, I just don't see it. Oh, they got to stop the corporate price gouging. Because there's record profits created by some of these people. Like, there's that's part of it. That's it what we said 12 inflation. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Coming out of 08, 09, that's what we said 12 years ago. Yes. <clears throat> so, so that, anyway. You can't have a better time than yes. now. Yes. If we gave you advice, the common sense advice, get in the market now. Quit running, unless you have to. Obviously, everyone, there's obviously... Everybody is different. This is Here's not the rental blanket rates, advice for everybody. The rental is, rates are all through the roof, too. Yeah, they're through yes. the roof, so, too. Yes. But here's the difference. I'll tell you this. I said this to uh, Aspire Johnson County actually asked me to answer a couple of questions, and I said this to them in one of my answers. Do you know the difference, the difference between renting and buying right now? Like price-wise? Renting is 100% interest. True. You can cut your interest by at least 94%, 93% if you're in a different market bracket, just by buying a house right now. Hmm. Think about that. Well, and either way, you're building some equity. I mean, you're, you're building, building zero equity when you're... Not renting. to mention you're building equity and long-term wealth. Correct. You know, you want to invest in something that increases and improves in value. So don't go buy that boat because that's going to decrease in value. Brand new cars going to lose value off the boat. But you know what boat stands for? Bet on another thousand. Bet on another thousand. <laughs> Spent. <laughs> you know, I drive a Ford, so people always say, found on road dead, huh? <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. <laughs> always found on the road dead. So my advice would be don't pay somebody else's interest your own interest gain some equity well and that's why the that's why the the rental rates are going up too because you're they a gotta, lot of times they gotta cover their expenses they're covering their expenses so their rate rental rate has to be high it's, enough to cover their mortgage it's gotta match with their mortgage sure. because mortgage mortgage rates for investment properties not to get another tangent but those are up even further <laughs> and there's now more restriction on them than there has been in the last couple of years because they're trying to get the investor to stop. They want the investor to stop so that affordable housing can be had by all. And that's part of the problem that I see, and especially like I go back to this market and other markets, we're gonna take places like, you know, that have been hot markets, Memphis, Tennessee, Jacksonville, Florida, there's a lot of, Kansas City, there's been a lot of markets that are cheap that are good to invest in, but the investors are coming in and they're like I said, buying now, buying more of the traditional homeowner type houses, 
those funds have always been around, but they are slated, from what I'm seeing in articles, they're going to continue to buy more, which then sucks up the inventory in places like Indianapolis and Indiana, which makes it even harder for the homeowner to buy. It keeps our prices up. So we need to get in now before everybody else buys it all up. Well, and it's and here's the thing too. You're I've had sellers. I've had sellers that will not accept the offer from the hedge funds because they want the homeowner to to buy the house. And like part of it has to be, look, guys, we can't sell to these hedge funds that come in and starts. They'll buy up blocks if they can, and then they yep. set the market on what the rental rate's going to be. Yep. And in all reality, it doesn't do well for neighborhoods' values for be a bunch of rentals, and that's my, my why you see. Yes, years. there's a lot of <laughs> neighborhoods. Five years where you can yep. put a renter in it. Yep. yep, neighborhood associations are doing things to, to combat the the increase in the uh, the hedge funds buying and also Airbnbs. <laughs> so you'll see municipalities, HOAs start cracking down on that because the affordability of housing for the average person is in danger because of that. Just remember, really. First-time homebuyers, you can waive your down payment requirements. You can get your closing costs paid by somebody else. So there is a way to get into the house by paying nothing but the inspection and the appraisal. Right. And that may cost you a total of $1,000 between both of them. So if you're looking at a tax refund in the next couple of months, put that money towards your hedge fund, <laughs> your own personal hedge fund, yes. a.k.a. your slush fund, so that you can afford to get that that house that you really want to live in. Yep. Your family requirement may have you in two, three, four bedrooms. Well, two, three, four bedrooms in, improves your price by 10, 15, 20, 30, sometimes $50,000, maybe $100,000, depending upon where you're looking. So always have to plan accordingly. Save what you need to make your 3.5% down payment. Save what you need to have at least 8% in your pocket because that's what you'll need for your expenses. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, so I appreciate you listening. I got one last thing. Oh, one so last what's thing. the moral of the story? If you want to buy a house, get your give, pipes checked. Call Joel for pre-approval, <laughs> and then give me a call so I can find you a house, and then Jordan will do your Jordan, insurance for you. Jordan will make sure your pipes are checked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, stay tuned. We've got new episodes coming out. Congratulations on that new house purchase. Oh yeah, common sense. Boom. Where's our theme music at? <laughs>